It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast, our winter meetings edition. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. In person again, it's been a while. I think the All-Star game may be a Futures game for edition of this podcast, but nice of you guys to, to be here on the couch here uh, for the winter meetings podcast. And from a prospect standpoint, been a little bit quiet as far as the winter meetings go. We'll get into the, the big deals the Red Sox move, but overall not a lot of prospects moving this week. No, yet. You know, yeah. as, as we sit here talking and, uh, you know, I think the last couple of years have, <clears throat> have taught us that uh, sometimes it takes a few days for those to come to fruition. And I think we might see more. But uh, Jim may disagree with you that there haven't been a lot of prospects because <laughs> he's been uh, ridiculously busy updating that Red Sox list. Jim has had to add six players to the Red Sox top 30 in, in the last 24 hours. I did. The Red Sox have been keeping me busy. But I, I was going to say, I think part of the reason it might be a little slower was just because we had that CBA uncertainty yeah. heading into the meetings. And so while teams were having discussions, you weren't quite sure what are the rules going to be on free agent. You know, they, they aren't as far along as some of the other decisions they might have made. You know, a lot of times it's easier to make a trade if you maybe, hey, we're going to make this free agent signing to fill a hole that might be created by the trade. So I think that's maybe led it to being a little slow. But, of course, as we've said this, there'll probably be eight, eight trades between the time we record this and the time it, it runs. We're going to look ahead to the Rule 5 draft in this podcast. We're also going to look at a, at a new kind of neat deal between Major League Baseball and, and really the high school level in, in USA Baseball. I will also take a look ahead to the, the Scouts Awards, which come up here at the winter meetings. But let's start with those big Red Sox trade. And the, the big one was obviously Chris Sale and the White Sox get quite a package. And they weren't going to give up Chris Sale if they weren't going to get the big package. I'll start with you, Jim, because... You had to replace all these guys on the Red Sox list, but the number one prospect in baseball, Yohan Moncada, the Red Sox spent so much money on him just a couple of years ago. Now he is a member of the Chicago White Sox organization. How quickly does he get in to the Major League Club? Well, I mean, the White Sox are obviously entering on a full-scale rebuilding. From a service time standpoint, it doesn't make sense for him to make the opening day roster. From a development standpoint, this is a guy who's played about a month and a half in Double A, looked a little you know, overmatched when his brief big league stint. I would think you send him to AAA, and you think about a midseason call-up if he is a, you know, there's no need to rush him. I think he's the opening day second baseman. <laughs> so. I think they want to show return on that investment. He was already up in the big leagues. He's on the 40-man roster. I, I, I say let him go. Okay, we're going to vehemently disagree on this one because the guy <laughs> I clearly, love when Jim vehemently disagrees. I love when you're in person to yeah, do it, too. We're, we're going to fisticuffs here. We're in this video, too. <laughs> That's like your word of the week, fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. I've thrown out there twice. But it's, <laughs> he's, he clearly was not ready for the big leagues last September, and I, and I think it would be, if they put him on the opening roster, let's just revisit Byron Buxton all over again. It's foolish to, and I'm not saying you're wrong, it may happen for the reasons you said. It would be a bad decision on the White Sox part. There's nothing to be gained from having him in the big leagues. If I'm a White Sox fan and my team's going to lose 95 games next year, I'm not going to feel any, you know, significantly better just because Yohan Makata was on the opening roster and played all year. He's not ready developmentally. Developmentally, it, it makes no sense. And from a business standpoint, why have this guy become arbitration eligible and free agent eligible before he has to? So it's foolish. But I will say, 
Well, I, and we're just speculating that that would be a bad decision. I was impressed by what, what why, now Kim speak, by what, I was so impressed to came to speak. I was impressed by what the White Sox got for him because being based in Chicago, I swear I've done at least 20 Chris Sale speculative podcasts or radio shows since the end of the season. Where's he going to go? Where are they going to get? Et cetera, et cetera. And you didn't know where he was going to go. The Red Sox were a prime candidate. But I, I, he's so good as a pitcher, just pure talent, and his contract is so team-friendly. He makes $38 million over the next three years combined, which is barely he's still young more too. than yeah. what Zach Reinke or David Price or Clayton Kershaw are going to make this year alone, right. that I, I thought it was going to be very difficult to get fair value, full value for Chris Sale. And, and so my standard line on all these radio shows and podcasts was, you know, not that I don't trust the White Sox, but I just think it's going to be hard to get what he's worth. So I predict I will not like what they get in return. I will think they not, did not get enough. And, and I don't think that at all. And in fact, I think the trade really sticks out to me because when you trade up a, a great player with a great contract like Chris Sale and you get a package of three or four guys and you're counting on, let's say, at least three of those guys becoming good big leaguers, that's all awful lot to ask. I mean, we like prospects as much as anybody, but prospects don't all you know, reach their ceilings or even make it to the big leagues. But the way this deal is structured, if Yohan Mankata is, is, is good, as good or as close to as good as you know, Robinson Cano with more speed, right there you made a good trade. And then on top of that, you got Michael Kopech. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Kopech yet. Who you know, gets and compared then, to Noah Syndergaard stuff-wise, and he's one of the 10, 10 or so best pitching prospects in the minors. If, if Mankata is what he's supposed to be and then Kopech comes close to what he's supposed to be, then it's a great trade for the White Sox. I think they did very well, and the other two guys are interesting as well, Basabi and Diaz. The Red... Does, does Michael Kopech not get Noah Syndergaard comparisons if he doesn't have long blonde hair? Well, I mean, I, I mean that helps. That helps. But I mean, the re and I know you're joking, but but the, but the reason he does <laughs> though, no, I mean you're talking about the guy Kopech yes, kind of gets the stuff. No, the stuff second measures. citizen status in this trade. But you know, Noah Syndergaard's got the most electric stuff of any big league starter, and Michael Kopech probably the most electric stuff uh, you, of any minor league. You know, starter. What, if you told me five years from now that Michael Kopech might end up being the best player in this trade, I could see. It. And I love Yoan Mankata. But I could see it happening because if everything clicks for Kopech, we're talking about a Noah Syndergaard. You know, yeah, I was making the joke about the uh, the, the locks out of jealousy, clearly. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we're talking a front of the rotation, number one, legitimate ace kind of guy. If you know, if it all comes together. And the down, and, and to me, the downside in Kopech, if it doesn't come together, let's say the control doesn't get to where you right. want to be. I still think you're looking at a closer. We oh, might without, be talking about a closer yeah, who's closer. averaging 100 miles an hour yep. coming out of the bullpen. Yep. So. Uh, you know, it's like I think that's where the White Sox did a really nice job. Is they don't have to have three or four guys come through, even if it's just Yohan Mankata, it's going to be a good trade. You could argue if, if Michael Kopech reaches his ceiling, he he could be worth Chris Sale straight up. And, and you know, and so I, I think what they did from talking to people, I think one thing they did that I heard that was a nice job is they they didn't look at this like we have to trade Chris Sale. It's like we need to rebuild. Let's see what we can get for him. But it sounds to me from talking to people that they knew who they wanted with specific teams. Like if if you know, like I'll use the Braves. Braves did not want to give up Dansby Swanson, but for the White Sox, if they were going to trade him to the Braves, Dansby Swanson was going to be a deal. Dansby Swanson's not available. Okay, we don't need to talk. We're right. not going to negotiate down. And I think you know, it sounds like the Nationals. You know, there was th thought that you know they they. I think the Nationals were the other team that was willing to give up what it was going to take, and the Red Sox happened to, to trump their offer. And maybe the Red Sox threw in two other players too. We talked about Kopech and Makata, obviously Luis Alexander, Basabe, and Victor Diaz as well. Two other guys in the top thirty. I mean, they're not that top level guys. But you mentioned the Nationals, and I want to get your guys' take because that package, reportedly, we don't know for sure what exactly the Nationals were were gonna give up. But but it's 
been kind of reported. Lucas Giolito, Victor Robles, Reynaldo Lopez. Basically the top three prospects in the national system. Um, you take that versus what the Red Sox did give up. In your mind, did the White Sox take the best offer? You know, I hadn't heard that it also included uh, Lopez. And it may not have, but for so, this game, for, that's <laughs> what we're game, going with. I, that's close. <laughs> I think that's close, especially because you'd be getting two uh, really good pitching prospects, both of whom are ready to contribute at the big league level. You'd have them under control for, for a long time. Um, plus, Victor Robles, who uh, you know, we've talked a lot uh, about between the two of us, is a guy who's he's obviously not under the radar because he's highly ranked, but... I think he may be underappreciated because he's not exploded on the national scene yet. Uh, but he is one of the most dynamic offensive prospects in baseball. I don't know. That that's that's awfully. I think that's awfully close. I'm not. I'm not sure. I might have taken the Nationals' offer just to, to because of the extra arm. I will less vehemently disagree with Jonathan. So I, I would. I mean, phew, that would be intriguing. But I would take. The Red Sox offer. I, I I might be about as big a Victor Robles fan as anyone. Yeah. I think there's a chance that you could argue he has the best tools of any player in the minor leagues right now, and that a year from now he might be the best prospect in baseball as he continues to develop and other guys graduate off the list. But I would still take Mancada over Robles. Um, and you've got you know infielder versus outfielder. Even though Robles is up the middle at least at center field, and I think the gap between Kopech and Giolito may not be nearly as much as we thought it was. The, 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 That's fair. What you said with Reynaldo Lopez, getting him as a major league ready arm as third guy in the deal, that would be tempting. But I think I, w I, I would have gone for I would have gone for the upside of the Mankata uh, Mankata I was going to Mankata Robles. That would have been a nice package. <laughs> Mankata Kopec package. And you mentioned Basabe and he's not at the level of a Reynaldo Lopez, but he's a he's a very toolsy guy. He's still young and raw, but he might be a guy we're talking about as a top yep. 100 prospect in a couple of years. It's fascinating that the Nationals here, the home team, and it's been so far as we record this, just kind of a disappointing run. We thought maybe McCutcheon, that's, I mean, he's still a pirate, so who knows, but you don't know. They lose out on Melanson. Uh, they lose out on Sale. We'll see how they kind of recover from this, and maybe they still have a big deal in them before we all leave uh, their, their area of the country. We will see. Uh, the other prospect deal that of note, uh, the Brewers getting a couple of guys for Tyler Thornburg as the Red Sox help out the bullpen as well. Lesser guys, obviously, not your Yoan Mankata or, or Michael Kopech, but uh, still some intriguing guys. Jim, I'll let you start because the Red Sox are your team. Poor Jonathan. <laughs> Have you done? Hey, have you just been twiddling your Jonathan. thumbs here? Just, I'm, I'm just going to drop the mic. I, I, I did. I wrote the. I'm glad he didn't do the Red Sox. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. And I did write the analysis piece yesterday on on the big trade. So, but yes, we can start with with Jim on the Thornburg deal. Mauricio Dubon is is kind of a fascinating story. I think we could we did a, a short clip for for MLB.com yesterday where we couldn't really get into it, but his story of of how he came to the United States is fascinating, and he's got some upside. Yeah, he's from Honduras. He's trying to become the, the second Honduran-born player to reach the big leagues after Gerald Young, although when I talked to him in the fall league and I asked about that, he, he just shook his head and went, no, 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 don't write that. The people back home will be very angry <laughs> because Gerald Young did not grow up in Honduras. So they, I think the Hondurans consider you know, Mauricio Dubon the first full-fledged. Gerald Young was like on a military base or something like so. that, right? I think so, so he yeah. Wasn't, anyway, but anyway, I, I, I said, you know, he was born in Honduras, and, and Mauricio was just like, no, no, don't you, I'm telling you, the guys back <laughs> home will not be happy with you. But uh, so anyway, he was 15, and there was a Christian missionary group that also was involved with baseball that came to Honduras from the U.S., and he went back with them to the U.S. so he could attend high school in the U.S. and, and try to, you know, 
help his baseball career. And he wound up getting drafted by the Red Sox in the later rounds. And he, he emerged. You know, yeah, he isn't Mankata and he isn't Kopech. But had we fully updated our Red Sox farm system before the winter meetings, Mauricio Dubon would have been their sixth or seventh best prospect. He was right there with Luis Alexander Basabe, you know, depending on which one you like better. But I really like him. I mean, yes, Dustin Pedroia doesn't seem like he's ever going to leave, and, and all these second basemen get pushed aside. And he can play shortstop, but yeah. Xander Bogarts is going to be there for 10 or 15 years at this rate. But Mauricio Dubon, he, he's not a power hitter, but he does everything else really well. He hits, he puts the bat on the ball, he's a solid runner. He can play solid defense at short, second. He played some center field in the fall league. I think at the very worst, he gives you a good utility man. But I, I think he's actually a guy who can be an everyday player on a contending club, which the Brewers aren't going to be right now. But I, I think he gets he's a little bit of a, a sleeper who doesn't get the do because the Red Sox system was kind of like these, these five top 100 guys and everyone else and the views of many people. But he's a really talented player. Yeah, and you know I think it, if he continues his development, you know, uh, at a sort of normal clip, right when the Brewers I think are hoping to be back and competitive again based on all the moves they made, is right when he's going to be ready to hit the big leagues in some fashion, and and they'll have the ability depending on who's playing where. I mean, he's not going to play shortstop in, in Milwaukee, uh, I don't think. I think Arcia is probably going to you know be just fine there, uh, but maybe he does move around to, at first. And he looked pretty good in center field. Uh, when uh, when I saw him, I didn't get long looks at him, but he, he didn't look uncomfortable considering he hadn't played out there before. And he's a, he's a plus makeup guy, really personable. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that the Red Sox sort of, with all the trades they've made in the last year, they keep being able to trade away these middle infielder types because there's no place to, to put them. You know, Javi Guerra goes to San Diego, and I was like, well, he wasn't going to play uh, in Boston anymore, and I think the same can be said for, for Dubon. That's why you keep drafting up the middle, right? Draft yeah. after draft after draft because the value that those guys have, whether or not they make it up to your major league club. How about Josh Pennington? He was the other guy in that deal, another top 30 guy. Right, but not, not put on the Brewers' top 30. Okay. The Brewers, you know, they've accrued so much. A little bit deeper than the Red Sox list, right? Yeah, now. yeah well, just, <laughs> especially uh, now. Especially right now. In fact, at one point I was uh, referring to a guy on – uh, on the list. Oh, I think it was Victor Diaz. Victor Diaz and I'm like, oh, he's, he's number week. 30. And I'm like, no, he's 28. <laughs> Wait, he's 24. What? Um, I mean, Pennington's just a, an arm, mostly an arm strength guy, right? So probably a, a you know, if bullpen, a bullpen. He's short young, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he was a guy who was actually one of the top high school pitchers in the Northeast and had Tommy John surgery his senior year. And the Red Sox still were able to sign him for $90,000, I think, in the 29th round. So they were bringing him back slowly. He's 95, 98. The control hasn't been there yet, but you know, if he wants to be a reliever, 95, 98 still works, yep. and he's still young enough. I think he's maybe 21 right now that you still can try to develop as a starter. So, like, it's, I, th I thought both teams that made the moves with the Red Sox yesterday had done their homework. I mean, they got, they got good guys. You know, Victor Diaz was a guy who a lot of people were interested in too. And, and just to get to your point too about, you know, when Jonathan was saying they have all these young guys, Dave Dombrowski actually mentioned that during his press conference, which we heard in the media room yesterday that it made it a little easier to give up the talent they've been giving up when you look at how they're, they're, they probably have the best young core players in the big leagues along with the Cubs. Right. And so when you have a Bogarts and a Betts and a Bradley and, and I, you know, still high hopes for, for Blake Swihart and they kept Andrew Benintendi, that's a pretty ridiculous core of, of five guys there. So, um, Not that Dave Dombrowski has ever shied away from trading away young yeah. talent, so I, I neither here nor there, but it is nice to have that that group knowing that you're going to have them for a long and time. And that said, 
I mean, he also was part of a, a great player development machine when he was with the Expos. I know that was a while ago, but right. you know, it's funny because when he took the Boston job, I had people ask me like, "Dave Dombrowski hates prospects. He's going to trade them all away." And I don't think it's that. I think in Detroit, has <laughs> well, but I think he's doing the job he was hired to do. Yes. And in Detroit, I mean, it was no secret. Mike Illich is in his 80s, wants to win another World Series, and so it's like we're all in for the future. Now Detroit's kind of on the verge of paying the price for that because yep. they don't have a deep farm system. They have an old, expensive club. You look in Boston, Ben Charrington, who probably deserves more credit than he gets for not trading Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley when, when these guys were unproven and struggling and the big league team was not doing well. You know, Ben Charrington was kind of the, the last vestige of the, the Theo Epstein days where we're trying to build this player development machine. And, and Dave Dombrowski was not brought in to, okay, let's, let's develop these guys and see how it pans out. Dave Dombrowski was brought in over Ben Charrington and then Ben Charrington resigned to win now. So again, I don't know why I'm becoming a Dave Dombrowski apologist about training prospects, but I think he's simply doing what he was hired to do. I don't think he's necessarily Mr. Quick Fix, ah, we gotta get rid of all the young guys. I think he's doing what he was brought in to do. Right, and, and it was a kind of maybe a perfect storm, you know, yeah. a recipe of things that worked to sort of fulfill that prophecy of him being the guy to trade away prospects. The, uh, and the pressure now, I guess, goes on the player development, the scouting staff to now replenish that supply. If the Tigers had been able to do that, maybe they'd have another group coming up. Of course, it's tough because once you're in that upper echelon, you're not drafting as highly. And now with the new international rules, probably maybe even tougher because even though those are big market teams, you, they can't go out there and give Yoan Mankata $30 million. So it's interesting you brought up the, the internationals because I was talking to an international scouting director last night and... I was asking him, like, do you feel like you're completely handcuffed by this? And he actually said no, which I was surprised. Now, yeah, the, you, know, you can't go over like you used to, but if you're a team that wins every year, you're only you're given... You're attractive, right? He's you're like, getting more money now. He, yeah. Yeah, he's oh, like, okay. we're, we're going from $2.2 million to $5 million. I'm okay. like, I'm good, you know? Yeah. And, and they weren't necessarily a team that would exorbitantly spend internationally, uh, but I, it was a perspective I hadn't even thought of where... Aside from the penalties, um, and that's a whole other thing that you know they have. Don't those make my head spin again like you did <laughs> last, <laughs> last week. They uh, I, well, I want to see it. It's on video. I'd like to see your head spin, um, like 360. You know, like on a, on a swivel. But um, they supposedly have these like draconian death penalty if you go over, or like what they're going to cut your funding, your the money you can use in half for the for the life of the CBA. For the life of the CBA. Okay. You're a team that wants to sign Otani, and he's going to fall. And if if he's made available, he's going to fall under the auspices of this because he's going to be under 25. Well, you can't go over though. You can't. You can't they just want to prove the contracts. Right. I think that's more yeah. if you do something yeah. under the table and you get caught. Oh, okay. Because right. you can't. You can't pay. Because what's, what's going to keep you from just saying, "All right, fine, cut me in half. I don't care. I'll but get my you, one player yeah, for, the next for a guy. Yeah. For a, they they want to prove the yeah. contract. But, right. the, but the, the two things. And I don't profess to know nearly as much about this stuff as Jesse Sanchez, but just thinking back to last week's podcast are, one, somebody brought up the point to me, Ben Battler from Baseball America, who's Baseball America's version is a Jesse Sanchez. And he was saying, you know, because I, I said, you know, it seemed to me like this system's really going to be tough, like they're not going to spend as much money. He said, you know, it really only affects the big-time Cuban players. But so many of those guys have come out that most of the big-time Cubans are out. So th those are right. going to be the guys like, you know, the Yon, there aren't more Yohan Mankatas coming. And then Otani, I still don't understand this. But there's, I've seen written in reports that like, oh, there may be ways around it because if otherwise Otani would be best served to wait till 2019 when he's 25. But then there have been reports, I think Jeff Passon from Yahoo in particular, said, oh, there might be ways around it. And I asked somebody like, what would that be? And simply put, they could amend the posting rules 
you know, the, the union and, and, and MLB could amend the posting rules and basically make them whatever they want. So it's possible that they may come up with a way that it doesn't apply to Otani so that we get Otani after the 2017 season. Yeah. You know, so for it'll the be, good of the game, I guess, would be the I right. guess. Not, not for the a good of the game. A little digression there. Yeah. But, yes. uh, yeah, Otani is fascinating. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, let's move on a little bit uh, from the prospects here, this winter meet meetings, to how this winter meetings ends every year, which is the Rule 5 draft. And uh, it'll be streamed on MLB.com. Uh, we, we hit the airwaves at 8.55 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday morning. Um, and it's always fascinating because – a lot of people won't recognize the names that are necessarily taken in the Rule 5 draft, but, so <laughs> but suddenly these guys, a lot of these guys are going to spend the year on Major League rosters, and a lot of them are going to end up being successful. Uh, but for people who aren't completely clear on the Rule 5 draft, Jonathan, you've done this a few hundred times in your life. Oh, kind of fill us in on how it all works. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write Rule 5 the musical so <laughs> we can do this uh, song and dance version. Uh, so very basically, it's a, it's a, just another way for teams to uh, find major league talent. Uh, every team has a certain amount of time to allow players in the minor leagues to develop before they have to be put on uh, the 40-man roster. Uh, the previous CBA, uh, before this one, changed the rules where every team got an extra year. So now it's uh, four years for a uh, college player, 19 or older, and uh, five years for 18 and younger. That includes high school kids and, of course, the international guys who signed at 16. If they are not put on the 40-man roster in their year, then they're eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Uh, they have upped the price uh, to $100,000 to make a pick, uh, which is still, I think, uh, people have asked me, is that going to keep teams from taking it? I don't think so. Uh, and then it's $50,000 if, if you send them back. So still sort of bargain shopping. And uh, lately, you know, the name, there haven't been those big splash kind of names, I think largely because of that extra year of evaluation time. But especially the last two years, the success rate has gone way up. Uh, more guys have stuck. Uh, Joe uh, Biagini and, and Matthew Bowman are probably the two that had the most significant roles on teams that were competitive last year. And it's been more of those kinds of guys than the, wow, this guy is, you know, going to be an all-star kind of player. Delano DeShields a, a couple years ago. Odebel yeah, Herrera is a, is a good player. I mean, you know, DeShields didn't follow up his, his rookie year with, a, right. with another good year. Uh, but, yeah, he was a, a, a good contributor, again, for, for a playoff team. So uh, there's still talent to be found. And I think the most interesting sort of tidbit I got when I was uh, doing the first preview uh, and talking to Mike Radcliffe of the, of the Twins and they have the first pick is – you know, we talk about all the uh, analytics and all the how much more data, and I had never thought of it like, well, how does that translate? They have so much more information about all of these players. So even if they're lesser names, there's a little more certainty, and I think that's a, a huge reason why uh, teams have been more successful in finding guys who can stick in the big leagues. And right. the tricky thing, as John said, you know, they mentioned sticking in the big leagues, it's, you don't just get to keep the player. That's the tough part of this. Right. If they I don't stay on your active roster in the big leagues all season, you have to clear them through waivers. All the other teams could get them, and you'd be subject to sim rules, and then offer them back to the team for half the price. You could play some DL games and rehab assignments, but he still has to be active in the big leagues for at least 90 days the following season, or you go through the same thing again the next year until he gets to 90 days. So it's, I almost wish they would just, you know, if, if you're not protected on the 40-man roster, 
the other team, you know, should be able. I, I almost feel like should be able to keep you. I, I, I don't know. It, if you aren't protected, it would make it. The, the rule was designed like almost a hundred years ago. It's been around forever right. to protect teams from stock. Back when teams would stockpile minor league talent and give guys who were blocked a chance and. I think that would be well worth, you know, I, I, if it were me, if I became the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred's probably okay. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about me. I, I would look at the Rule 5 rules and I almost say, look, you know what, if they're not putting on the 40-man roster, maybe raise the price to make it a more significant amount of money, but you can keep the guy. Just keep him. Yeah. yeah. So, keep him on your 40-man. Maybe right. back to the big league roster, but you have to keep him on your 40-man right. roster. So when you look ahead to Thursday morning and you mentioned the Twins with the first pick, but who are some names that we could see going early on in the Rule 5 draft? Well, uh, that's why I'm just pulling out the list that I have here. Uh, it, it's still sort of filtering in. I, th I feel like teams more and more is really a Wednesday night thing where they really try to hone in. on. I brought up maybe doing this in last week's podcast, and you were both like, no, well, no, I no, could, no. I, could, I did a radio show earlier, and they're like, who are some names? I'm like, I could just completely make up fictitious wow. names, and you wouldn't know. Where right. was the radio show that actually cared about the Rule 5 draft? Uh, it was uh, uh, Toronto. Because wow. it'd be a genie. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, they asked me like five questions about the Rule 5 draft. I said, this is the most outside of our happy little family here that I've ever talked about the Rule 5 draft. Um, the names that I'm hearing the most are uh, a couple of sort of uh, y young arms from Latin America, Yimi Brasabon, uh, Yanni Chirinos are, are both names uh, that I'm hearing quite a bit. Um, and then uh, Eric Wood of the uh, of the Pirates who had a really good fall league and it was a guy who had been a pitcher as an amateur and then hitting full-time once he joined the Pirates organization had a solid year in double-a and then had a really good fall league and also showed the some uh, positional flexibility third first and the outfield corner and that that often will will help uh, so those are a couple names you want to you want to yeah, throw uh, in Brassabon's one I've heard a lot Potter's right-hander throws 95 98 another fall league guy that we both were impressed with when we saw him Zach Vinci the Reds and he's an interesting one because he really had no track record of of doing much at the plate he had a, a better second half this year he'd been in pro ball for three or four years and they almost won the AFL triple crown and he's a pretty good defensive player so shortstop for the Reds might be interesting yeah he could play second probably could play third if you needed him yeah too. he's athletic enough to do that yep. Philip Evans of the Mets another guy who can play all over the infield won the Eastern League batting title this year hit 335 so like you know it's usually tougher to keep the position guys in the big leagues but you know you won the batting title in double A so you can see Philip Evans making that jump and I, I think the Red Sox feel like they might lose Justin Haley who has, you know, just by in terms of the radar gun, kind of averageish stuff, but he seems to miss bats, and he's had success as a starter in AAA, and he might be a, a low ceil lower ceiling, higher floor Rule 5 pick who might be able to be somebody's fifth starter middle reliever next year. Vincey, also a friend of the podcast. That's right. That's uh, right. A few weeks ago, he coming on from the Arizona Fall League. Um, all right, so it'll be, it's going to be exciting. It's always fun. Uh, you can listen in, 8.55 a.m., as I said, on MLB.com. Uh, me and Jonathan will kind of set the stage, then we'll hand it over. And it is rapid fire. That's the one kind of neat thing about the Rule 5 draft. And is no double-A phase anymore. No double-A so phase. So it's just Major League, triple-A, so and be done. seven minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on. All right, excellent. A um, couple other things I wanted to talk about, and, and I mentioned the the scouts dinner is coming up Wednesday night here at the winter meetings uh, as we record this Wednesday afternoon, and awards are given out as part of that. And, and Jim, I know you're always in attendance. Um, who is being honored this time around as far as the scouts go? There's four guys. You know, it's kind of a lifetime achievement award. Um, and they do it regionally. East Coast winner this year is Ed Creech, who's now with the Giants. He was scouting director for four teams, came up as an Expos area scout. The Central Division winner is, or Midwest winner, 
is Larry Corrigan of the Twins, who, who ironically, I've only signed one big leaguer because he wasn't an area scout for very long. He kind of went into upper scouting management, and he was with the Pirates, Angels briefly. He's back with the Twins now. The West Coast winner is Rick Schroeder, who's scouted for a number of teams, signed uh, more than a dozen big leaguers. He's with the Texas Rangers now. And then they alternate, like, I guess in odd number of years, there's like a director's choice, which is just whoever they decide to give it to. And then the even number of years, it's an international award winner. And Pablo Cruz, who signed almost two dozen big leaguers for the Pittsburgh Pirates, kind of came up under the legendary Howie Hake. He's your international winner this year. And that's tonight. I always love the event and talking to the scouts and hearing stories. And every like virtually every scouting director is in there. You, you see all kinds of scouts. You know, it's a great event. All right, one other thing I wanted to touch on in this podcast. you have something? No? Okay. You're just getting the mic ready. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm team me uh, up. Come on. It was announced today as far as press release coming out, but a new program uh, that kind of brings together Major League Baseball and not the prospects we necessarily talk about, but but younger level prospects, uh, USA Baseball involved as well. It's called uh, the Prospect Development Pipeline, PDP. Uh, the website will be up at some point in 2017, I know. Um, but it's kind of a neat thing. It's coming together, Jonathan, and it's going to be really around the country regionalized and, and a chance for, for high school-age kids to kind of get, get noticed, get right. recognized, and put their talents on the field. Right. First, it was nice that they allowed us to have our branding on it, you know, the pipeline branding. Yeah. But uh, I thought maybe that was already uh, copyrighted. Uh, well, no, we allowed them to use it, so it's, it's, it's really okay. Um, I, I think it's a, a, a really interesting initiative that uh, both USA Baseball and MLB have, have sort of joined together on, and is there are going to be five uh, regional events before the high school season, so it's like in January, February. Um, obviously in, in warm weather areas. And then there's going to be another dozen sort of late May, June, kind of post-high school season. The idea being the ones early are going to be mostly for guys who are uh, graduating 2017, so 2017 draft kids. And then uh, it'll be 2018 or, or 2018, 2019 kids. And the ones in the summer, uh, they're one-day events, kind of full evaluations. Uh, the scouting bureau is going to put together reports. Obviously, they're hoping scouts, the area scouts, will come to, to all of them. In fact, Scouts will be on the field instructing and, and coaching. And then in September, they're doing a whole uh, advanced scout team like championship tournament, a 16-team tournament um, where they'll go out and just play games for four or five days. I think we're going to end up carrying some of those games in, in some capacity. That's going to be in September uh, in Cary, North Carolina, at the USA Baseball Complex. Uh, and I think it's just a, another way for high school kids to be seen by teams and, and directly set up by the teams. I mean, there are general managers, scouting directors, uh, and the like on the steering committee. So uh, there's no middleman. Um, it's, there's no cost for any of the players. Uh, so it's just a, a, an easy way that it all, all, all it is about is kids going out, getting some work instruction, um, some guidance, and, and some playing in front of the, the evaluator to make the decision if and when to draft them. And you mentioned the coverage, and MLB Advanced Media is also a big part kind mm -hmm. of of the partnership, and, and a lot of that will be broadcast as well. That's going to do it for this Pipeline podcast. Uh, just a note, programming note, the next Pipeline podcast next week, we're going to get – we're going to dig in to the new top 50 draft prospects, which will be out next week. Comes out the 13th? Sure. Sometime next week. Uh, but we will dive into that. So definitely tune in next time on the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.